Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk about Chris Jones, hired as the head coach and GM of the Edmonton Elks. We'll talk to the voice of the Elks, Morley Scott of 630 Ched. We'll also talk with Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet. The World Juniors coming up next week. His thoughts on Team Canada's chances to win on the podcast. The Edmonton Elks have filled their head coaching and GM vacancies with one man a familiar name, and that's Chris Jones, the man who coached the team that was then not known as the Elks to a Grey Cup in 2015 and then bolted for the Riders GM and coaching jobs for three years and then left for a defensive role with the Browns and then coached his high school and then spent time as a defensive consultant with the Argos, is back in Edmonton. Signing a four-year contract and here to talk about the big hire is the voice of the Elks, Morley Scott of 630 Ched. Thanks for hopping on, Morley. Let's start with today's news. Did you see this coming? I, I I thought so. I thought it was coming all along. I thought for sure he was going to be one of the candidates for a long time. Uh, if you would have asked me, you know, four years ago if I saw this coming, I would say no way. Uh, but a lot has changed since then. And uh, Chris Jones returns to Edmonton, and uh, he looks like uh, and sounds like a different guy than when he left. He sounds very committed. It talks about wanting to be committed to, to staying here and uh, – working with the fan base, working with the team, and getting more involved in the community. A lot of things we didn't hear from uh, Chris Jones the first time around. So one of the criticisms of Jones over the years has been his snack for just getting up and leaving at a moment's notice. He did that out of Edmonton, did that out of Saskatchewan. He's kind of been a a football vagabond the last few years. But it, it sounds different, you say, this time. Yeah, I think it is. And and he talked about how he's getting older now and he wants to settle down. And a couple of times he referenced John Huffnagel and Wally Buono and said, it's time for me to be more like those guys. Settle down, be in one place for a long time, have some fun, have some success and enjoy what I'm doing. And, you know, he mentioned those guys probably three or four times at the podium today when he was talking. And, and, uh, you know, he spent a lot of time talking with Wally Buono over the last couple of weeks leading up to this. And uh, I think it's rubbed off on on him a little bit. And, And I really do believe he's a different guy, uh, same football mind and everything, but I do believe that, that he's committed. And uh, that was part of the negotiations. That was part of the interview process. And uh, that's why he signed a four-year contract and has said he'll be here at the end of the four years. Can it work being a head coach and a GM at the same time? I think it can if you have the right people around you. And I think uh, Chris Jones will make sure he has the right people around him, both on his coaching staff and his football operations staff. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I think Jones can do it because, first, he's a workaholic. He's always working. Uh, and, and he is a great talent evaluator. He's a guy who likes to go out and not only – find those guys, but find guys that fit the system that he plays, that he wants to play with his team. And I think that will help him being general manager and coach. That will help him a lot because he knows the players he wants and he can go out and get them. Is Edmonton as a city receiving this hiring well or not? I wouldn't say well. I wouldn't say poorly. It's kind of fifty-fifty. Uh, I, I, you can't really judge all the time by Twitter, but right. uh, but my my Twitter feed and the reaction I'm getting is fifty-fifty. I mean, uh, a lot of people are seem to be forgetting uh, all the football games he won as head coach of uh, of the Edmonton football team uh, back when he was here in twenty fourteen and fifteen. I mean, he won. Uh, 12 games in 14, 14 games in 15, won a couple of playoff games both years, and, of course, won the Grey Cup in 2015 as well. So he's had a lot of success, and and because he left, and I think 
the speed in which he left when he left after, you know, a week after the Great Cup game. I think that that didn't sit well with a lot of fans and they've got long memories and uh, they, they haven't gotten over it yet. But I, I think, Christian, a bunch of wins early in the season might get might help them get over it. And that's that's what Chris Jones's M.O. is. Right. He he's come into several teams now and been involved in turnarounds as a head coach. He's done it in Edmonton and he's done it in Saskatchewan. Now he's going to try and do it in Edmonton again. Well, I, I, someone brought it up on my timeline today. I'm not sure who it was, but they retweeted a tweet from Chris Jones earlier this year where he t- tagged the Edmonton football team and said, let's run it back. And it's a picture of him with the Grey Cup on the team plane. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It took a while. It was uh, That was, what, 11 months yeah. ago when Scott Milanovich uh, announced that he was not going right, to uh, right. uh, coach with the Oaks and wanted out of his contract. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, I, I know at the time he had someone running his – Twitter account for him. I don't think he runs his Twitter account. Uh, I think he had someone running, but but the guy ran it by him. And he said, yeah, go ahead and do it. So uh, he was interested in the job uh, a year ago when Jamie Elizondo got it, and now he's got the job. So we'll see what he does with it. He's got the job and some, as he, of course, he's general manager as well. So now that he has this job, how long is the to-do list to make this a winning football team again? <laughs> Oh, I think it's pretty long. Uh, you know, I asked him today, I said, what's the first thing you're going to do uh, in, in the position you're in? And and the first thing he said was to hire a coaching staff. Uh, I think he's already got some guys in place. And it's funny, this is how, how uh, Chris Jones works. He talked today about the fact that he's already broken down the team position by position and watch tape. He started watching tape on the Edmonton Elks football team from last year uh, while he was interviewing for the job. Uh, that's how thorough he is. Uh, he, he, he was, he was going over tape and he's getting prepared and he's got guys who he wants to hire going over tape as well and, and looking at things. So he's already got kind of got a staff in place and I don't know if they're working on other teams now or not, but uh, you know, he's got his guys who, who he's going to try and bring in if he can and uh, move on from there. So that's the first thing is hire uh, the, the, the coaching staff, then he's got to get ready for free agency. And that's a lot more work nowadays because everybody's a free agent, basically, in the Canadian Football League. And there's a lot of work involved there. So those are the first two things on his, on his to-do list. Uh, but first and foremost, it's get a coaching staff in place. Is Nick Arbuckle the, the quarterback of the future for the Edmonton Elks? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, you remember when uh, when Chris Jones went into Saskatchewan, uh, he got rid of the old guy right uh, right away and, and moved on and ended up bringing in Cody Fajardo. Uh, I, I'm not sure. He's going to have to look at uh, an awful lot of tape and probably talk to them. Uh, there's word today, Taylor Cornelius working out for the Chicago Bears. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what that's going to lead to or not. But he's got a good young, uh, a good young talent, Taylor Cornelius, who's very rough around the edges. And he's got a little bit more of a seasoned vet. Um, in Nick Arbuckle, so uh, he's going to have to, and he said today, we're going to find the best quarterbacks we can out there, bring them to camp, and let the best one of them win the job and move forward. Whether that's Nick Arbuckle or not, I don't know. So looking at how this maybe changes the landscape of the Western Division, it seems to me at least that this brings stability to that organization and makes the West Division even tougher to get out of than it already has been. Yeah, I think it will be. I think you're right. It does bring stability. Uh, I mean, he's got a lot of work to do to make the Elks a competitive team this coming season in the West. I mean, they had three wins. It's, you know, it wasn't nearly good enough to be uh, competitive. They weren't close uh, in a lot of games. They were close in some. They weren't close in others. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. But, yeah, for sure, it he brings in an element of respect 
and 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 I think that you know he's able to bring in free agents. That's going to be a big issue as well. Uh, he's able to scout. He scout. He's a really good scout and a really good talent evaluator. And he's able to bring guys in and and make them work. You think back over the years and some of the players he brought in just in in his two years in Edmonton from from Darrell Walker to Dexter McCoyle and Otha Foster and guys who were really good football players and ended up uh, winning a great cup with him in 2015. Some of them went with him uh, to Saskatchewan and and some went out elsewhere but he's a good talent evaluator so he can probably get the Elks to be a better team next year I don't know how how much they can challenge next year but for sure the West Division got tougher today I don't think there's any doubt about that and then that plays out again even more come free agency who's able to keep their free agents and who's who's who goes out and, and kind of retools a little bit I guess important to note that when he took over a pretty bad Rough Riders team, the first season was wasn't great, and, and the, then it was years two and three that finally things started to happen for that program. So people in Edmonton shouldn't be expecting a Grey Cup in twenty twenty two. It'll take a little bit of time. Yeah, he had a good he had a quick turnaround when he was in Edmonton. I mean, in thirteen, uh, Edmonton was four and fourteen. Then they won twelve games That's the next right. year, four, 14 and the Grey Cup the year before. But he had Mike Riley. Right, just mm. coming into his coming into his own at that point. Riley, his first year as starter in Edmonton was uh, was 2013, and he really came into his own in 14 and 15. So he doesn't have that now. He doesn't have that budding superstar quarterback ready to explode onto the scene. So uh, that's going to hold him back a little bit. But yeah, he went from in Saskatchewan. He went from uh, what I think three wins to five wins in his uh, in his first season, but eventually got them up to I think they won 12 at the, at the height of his success in Saskatchewan. So. And and a lot of the players that he brought in are still there and and part of that team that that's lost to the Blue Bombers the last two years. From your point of view, how is he to work with and to interview and to and the sound bites? How's that? Uh, you know what? He's not going to give you. Uh, he's not going to give you many thirty second sound bites. Uh, he'll give you uh, some twelve second sound bites. But what he says is good and. And I never had a problem with him in his two years here. He was always very accommodating, and, and uh, as much as uh, as he could, he gave us his time for interviews. And we had him on every pregame show, and we t- we 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 had him on during the week. And you know, he did his scrums at the end of practice every day, so he was available. He made himself available, but uh, he's not going to give you the long sound bites. Like for example, we got used to that with Jason Moss. We got a lot of long answers with Jason Moss, Jamie Elizondo, kind of the same thing. Uh, we won't get the long soliloquies from Chris Jones, but we'll get the goods. Um, you know, sometimes you don't have to, what you say can still be impactful and interesting, even though it comes in a shorter soundbite. Morley, appreciate your time. As always, have yourself a Merry Christmas. Thanks, Christian. You too. Appreciate it. The World Junior Hockey Championship, as always, begins Boxing Day at Edmonton and Red Deer. Here to help preview the action, Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet, who's covered junior hockey for years. Sam, welcome to the show. Let's start with the big question heading in. As always, is Canada the favorite to win this thing? Well, I'd have to think so. A couple of returning guys, guys that have uh, played in the NHL and scored their first NHL goals. And, uh, you know, home ice, as it stands right now, looks like it's going to be an advantage. And I suppose it will be one way or the other, with or without fans. So the way I look at it is you're the returning silver medalist. Your team is as good or maybe better than it was last year. So I, I'd have to think so, but it's not quite as clear-cut uh, maybe as other years. Yeah, the news coming down this afternoon that the capacity will be cut to 50%, but they played in a bubble last year with no fans. So there will be some positive encouragement coming from from the Canadian supporters this year. 
Oh, which is going to be a nice thing to have. And honestly, like we can sit here and say today, you know, full fans, half fans. And by the time the tournament starts, it might even be decreased from there. So this thing is just amazing how it changes literally by, by the minute. So it would, I'm sure there's going to be fans in the building, regardless of whether it's 50% or even lower than that. And that should help. No question about it to give a little bit of that home ice advantage that wasn't experienced last year. So Canada comes back with just uh, three returning players. It's not a big number, but one of them is Cole Perfetti, uh, which is the name a lot of people in this market know. He's a Winnipeg Jets prospect. He's done well at the Manitoba Moose. The fact that he played the World Juniors and then got to play pro hockey with the Moose, and now he's going back to this tournament. Is he one of the, the beasts, perhaps, in the forward group for this Canada team? Well, I mean, you'd, you'd like to think so. Um, I like Winnipeg's approach with him to kind of be cautious and take their time. He's got a couple of, of NHL games under his belt, but we can say the same thing about Jake Neighbors or, or Mason McTavish uh, for that matter too, and McTavish a little bit more recently than, than where Cole was. So I think when when I look at Cole Perfetti, he, I've always been a huge fan. I thought he was going to end up going fourth in the draft. I think Winnipeg was shocked that they got him where they did. And I think that they've also taken a very patient approach with him that I can completely appreciate. So Cole is a guy who excels and is at his best when he has best players playing around him. And he's going to have that situation with uh, with Hockey Canada here. So I think when you look at his pro prospects, he's not going to go to the Jets and play top six. So why not keep him with Manitoba where he can be a top six guy, continue to develop in that mode. Uh, but I, I'm a huge fan of the young man. I'm a huge fan of the player. And I think he's going to be a, a big piece here for Dave Cameron moving forward. So you mentioned the, the kind of players they'll be playing with. Who are the biggest names on this roster we should be looking out for this upcoming couple of weeks? Oh, man, there's there's a lot of good ones. Uh, for me, it starts in the back end with both Caden uh, Gooley and, and Owen Power. And I'm really appreciative of those guys and what they're able to bring to the table. Uh, I think about the two guys that I had mentioned earlier that have some NHL games with Jake Neighbors of the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, Mason McTavish of the Anaheim Ducks uh, prospect, who, if he didn't get hurt, might be in a different situation than where he is now. Ultimately, though, I think for Mason, this experience is going to be really key for him coming off of what he did at the under-18s and, and here moving forward uh, through the Anaheim Ducks back to Peter Rowan, of course, here with this with this World Junior team. But, you know, Shane Wright is a guy that everyone's going to be talking about with that exceptional player status. Comes into the tournament hot with four multi-point games in his last five. I think he's a guy that's, uh, you know, to be reckoned with. I think about other guys that maybe aren't quite as known, like uh, Elliot Desnoyers, for example, or Lucas Cormier, who play in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, where people don't maybe have the opportunity to see those players, yet how effective uh, they can be and have been in, in league play. How's the goaltending look for Canada? It should be fantastic. Anytime you have a returnee, I think that's huge. So Dylan Grand, it starts there. New York Rangers fourth-round pick with an excellent Kamloops team. I love having a guy back who's been there, done that. I think that's huge. Uh, but Sebastian Cosa, you know, there'd be fans in the, in the Edmonton area that are obviously very familiar with his play. Last two and a half years with the Oil Kings has been absolutely brilliant. First-round pick at Detroit. And then Brett Brochu is a really fascinating story. I don't know how much he's going to play in this event, but this is a guy who, you know, four years ago was a junior C guy. 
and probably thought that, yeah, I might just finish out my career watching a few fights in front of me and then maybe go to school and hang out. Well, his his rise to, to prominence has been really, really amazing here with the London Knights. He's setting records with that franchise, which isn't easy to do. Um, just a battler, a little bit on the smaller side, but so appreciative of, of his, his efforts and his story coming in. So I, I like the goaltending here. For me, it starts with either Kosa or Garan. Uh, those two will likely see the bulk of the action, but if Brochu gets in there, I'm sure he'll make his mark as well. So looking at Canada's group, they're in Group A with uh, Czechia, Germany, Austria, and Finland. I'd, I'd say they're in the weaker of the two pools. The others got yep. Switzerland, but then Sweden, Slovakia, the USA, and Russia. Who in Canada's group poses the biggest threat, or or is it any of them? No, I think the Finns do. I mean, everyone looks at the Finns, and for the last couple of years, you're looking, you don't think it's a daunting group, but still a group to be reckoned with just because of their style of play, because they play a North American style of game with some heaviness, with the ability to play on the forecheck and, and defend well. But uh, also a pretty good group when you look at the back end. I think about Nimala's, uh I think he's going to be a star here in the league, Brad Lambert, what's he going to bring to the table? Uh, Joaquin Kemmel is the guy that, uh, you know, has, has lit the league on fire before he ended up uh, getting hurt. So they, they do still have some firepower. They always seem to me to be a little bit underrated, yet they always seem when the chips are down as a team that ends up playing for a medal. And I think Finland has a very good opportunity to do that. I think in the group that Canada's in, Finland provides the most danger. But after that, I don't think there is a whole lot of danger for Canada until we get into the crossover. So the U.S., the defending champions, Jake Sanderson, Ottawa Senators prospect named captain today of that team. You mentioned that Canada is probably the favorites in this tournament, but how close are the U.S. and Canada as they have been so close so many years recently? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, their back end, I think, is is outstanding. You talk about Hughes, Clevin's a returning guy. I think the world of Sanderson, I think he's an NHL player right now. I look at Matty Beneers up front. Uh, you know, you got Lucius, Semescovich, you got, uh, you know, uh, plenty of firepower to, to operate with up front. So maybe not quite a dynamic a group as it was last year up front, but their back end, I think, is spectacular. A little bit unproven in goal, so that may prove to be a bit of a challenge, especially in a tough group where you don't really get many opportunities to kind of take a game and, ex- and experiment with things. Um, but I, I love what, they, what they're bringing to the table. you got Nate Lehman. He's been there as a gold medal coach. He knows how to navigate the, the ins and outs of the, of the tournament. Um, so I would think they would be right there as the favorites to win Group B with, with Canada as the favorites to win the, the Group A. How about Sweden and Russia? How do they stack up? The Swedes are really good. They're always really good. The Swedes, for whatever reason, when the chips are down, just seem to have trouble finishing things off. There's no weak spot in their lineup. You know, if you just pick a couple of guys right off the hop, you think about Volstad as a first-round pick. You know, I think about Evanson as a guy that they think is making major strides there in Detroit and won't be long before he's next to to Moritz Sider and on the back end, keying Detroit's one-two punch. And then you look at guys like Olison, uh, Eklund, Lysel up front. They're, they're an awesome team. They're an awesome team on paper. But for whatever reason, other than 2012 when they won, which is their only World Junior win, things seem to go a little bit sideways for them, be it matchup-wise, injuries, bad luck, whatever the case may be, once they get into the medal round. So uh, I expect them to be a, a top contender. I think they're a contender for a gold medal. I really do. But I also worry about the aura that surrounded that team for years other than 2012. 
can you if you're a an NHL draft eligible player, can you really bump up your stock with a strong performance at this tournament? Well, I think so. And you know, I mean the guy I think about right off the top of my head is Brad Lambert. He hasn't had a great start in Liga in, in Finland. He was surprisingly as one of the younger players last year in that men's pro league in Finland was was a really successful player. Now he's on the same team as Joaquim Kemmel and you know, you're being compared to him nightly as a guy who, before he got injured, led the league in points. That's a difficult task. His minutes are down. They're different from what Kemmel's are. And I think that, you know, he, he's at the point now where his international experience as an underage player, that currency is about to expire unless he does something, you know, really not not miraculous. But I think he needs to play to a to a certain level here at this tournament to kind of get himself back in the conversation. I think at the start of the year, he was in it as a top 10 guy. I think he's dropped outside of the top 10 based on his play at the start of the year. And I think this tournament gives him the opportunity to move forward as it does with any of the draft eligibles. Uh, I, I truly believe that when you are able to come to this event with the pressure that's applied with uh, the spotlight that's on you and with the competition being older, bigger, faster, stronger, and heavier, if you can apply yourself here at this event as a draft-eligible player, I think it can do wonders for your draft status. And what about someone like Shane Wright, who is coming in as one of the, the younger players and can use this tournament as more of a maybe a springboard to future success? Well, I think for Shane, I think I look at Shane, and you know, I've got to know him well over the last couple of years, and I think he's cemented as that number one guy. There's nothing in in what I see from him that would change that, even if he went without a point in this tournament, to be honest with you. I just think he's that well-rounded a player. I don't expect him to be that way. He missed a couple of games in the 18s and still tied for second with 14 points in captaining a gold medal team. Um, That's the type of guy I think we're going to get here. So can he use it as a springboard? Potentially. Uh, But I don't think there's any other spot for him in this draft than being the number one guy. And what about Connor Bedard? has he's the the lone 2005 born player on this team well it's pretty cool because when when you look at maybe one of the secondary storylines in this event you think about Dalibor Dvorsky of Slovakia you think about Matvey Michkov of Russia as guys who are eligible for the 2023 draft and I think all three of those players are going to be in the conversation for the first overall pick that draft class extends well beyond those three players um, and I think it's really, really good. I think it's much better than the O4s, the O3s, the O2s. Probably one of the best draft classes we've seen in in a long, long time. So, you know, obviously we're we're thinking about Bedard because we're here in Canada. You know, in, in your market there, you're not too far for, away from him in Regina. You saw the success he had in the bubble last year. You saw the success that he had with the under-18s. And you have to think moving forward here that he's going to be a, a part of how big a part remains to be seen, but he's going to be a part of the action here for Canada in this event. I'll leave you off with this. As someone who's been following junior hockey for a long time, is this your favorite time of the year? Well, I'll be honest. I'll be completely honest with you. I love it. I love this event. Uh, for me, the favorite time of my year was always the Memorial Cup. Right. I just, uh, you know, I, I, I did 14 of them before the rights went to went to another network um for me you're two weeks hunkered down in the same place you have a really good knowledge of what those teams are all about it's all about four canadian teams well you know maybe one american team but that for me was was my best time of year so not to take anything away from the world juniors i love it i enjoy it but for me it was always about the memorial cup 
Well, that's fair. And it's been a few years since we've had a Memorial Cup and hoping that yeah. we can get one in 2022. I sure hope so. Well, Sam, appreciate your time tonight. Thank you very much for this and enjoy the tournament. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Come on, and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all.